You're listening to Recovery, Healing, Outreach, and Awareness, a podcast about domestic violence, sponsored by Randy's House of Angels. Domestic or intimate partner violence is a complex and silent epidemic that affects millions of people worldwide. To respond to the overwhelming issues associated with domestic violence, Randy's House of Angels has produced a series of podcasts beginning in October that will bring this epidemic to the forefront of public consciousness and break the silence that often shrouds it. I'm Paul Miller, the producer of this program, and we invite you to access the podcasts by going to randyshouseofangels.org. Today, we are discussing what are some of the emotions and thoughts that victims of domestic violence experience. What makes them stay in the relationship? Joining us here today is Barb Rodden and Nancy J. Chavez. Nancy Chavez is a victim and survivor of domestic violence and the survivor of the murder of her daughter, Randy. Barbara Rodden, wife, mother of three children and grandmother, will share her experience as a domestic abuse survivor. She will share how she became a widow at 30 years old, her marriage of 16 years to an abuser, the ongoing harassment and stalking, filing a PFA, taking part in several court hearings over child custody, child support, and the mental abuse of her children. Today's facilitator on the Randy's House of Angels podcast is Dr. Ellen Smith, M.D. Dr. Smith retired after 30 years of teaching and practicing in family medicine education in the Harrisburg area. Since she retired, she has spent a great deal of time learning about adversity and how to bounce back and become more resilient. She is very appreciative to have had the opportunity to educate thousands of people about these topics. Each training is customized for the participant, focused with many practical applications for immediate use. Her medical background helps build trust and understanding understanding during trainings. She spends a great deal of time volunteering at the Trinity Preschool of Harrisburg. Considering that there is a lot of adversity, such as poverty, racism, and other discrimination within our preschool community, there's also a great opportunity to support and build resilience. Additionally, Dr. Smith volunteers at her local church. She has also developed a tool called the Personal Resilience Planner, which takes the above concepts and provides a practical way to look at strengths, trauma responses, resilience, and how to progress in these areas over time. Barb Roden and Nancy Chavez, so good to see you today. I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk about why victims of domestic violence don't leave. But let's start with your stories. Barb, would you tell me a bit about your story? Tell the audience about your story. I am, first of all, a mother of three, and I was married to a narcissist where he covered his tracks. He covered his personality very well for the most part. I began to see signs of dysfunction even before the marriage and the day of the marriage and certainly the day to follow after the marriage. Unfortunately, he came from a family of severe dysfunction on the, outs- on the inside, not the outside. And that's where my story begins. Excellent. Thank you for starting your story. We'll talk a bit more as we go. Nancy, would you like to tell your story? I was married for seven and a half years, but each day, and I'm being very honest with you, was a day of included abuse. 
I share with you that I ran away to get married when I was very young. Um, my ex-husband knew the day that he took me away from my family, moving to Norfolk, Virginia, that he had full control over me being so young and very naive. So that's why I say from the very first day, he not only set me down, I remember when we first got to Virginia and let me know that these were the rules that when he was at work, which meant on the ship because he was in the Navy, and when he came home with his friends, his friends had more of a presence in our apartment than I did. So that meant that when he came home with beer and stayed up all night drinking, that I was supposed to be okay with that. And that went on for years and years, which the escalation of abuse, physical abuse, and of course, mental abuse um, never ended. But I will also share with you that I am a victim of domestic violence. Um, and that domestic violence just didn't end with my ex-husband when we were divorced. It continued for several years, the mental abuse, the verbal abuse from him, until my late 30s when I just said stop. But I also am a survivor. My daughter was murdered in January 10th of 2003. And people ask me to this day, because we are all crime solvers, crime, crime solvers, was there domestic violence in their relationship? Her husband had hired his best friend to kill her. And that is always the question. I get asked, why didn't I leave my abusing relationship? Was there abuse in the relationship with my daughter? Wow. So what are some reasons you couldn't leave until you left. And you may want to carry on further on your story as part of this. I did leave, actually, three times prior to finally escaping. Mm -hmm. And the main reason I was able to escape this time, the last time, the fourth time, was because he had an affair, uh, which was videotaped from his own phone, and I just happened to find it. Mm. But the three prior times, the reason I had gone back was the first time was because I believed all the lies. My family wasn't started yet. And at that time in my life, I wanted children. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, I gave it another shot. Within a couple of months, I saw the same behavior. And I left another, the second time, probably within three years. I left the second time, and I started to get threats. I started to get, I had no support from any family members. I had been made to believe that if I leave, then the threat indirectly was that you will pay for this. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, you will have your children taken away from you. You will be paying me everything, and you have nothing. Mm. So that prompted me to come back a second time. Mm -hmm. The third time was probably another couple, three years later. I left, packed up everything once again, took my children, and then in-laws stepped in and says, I will hold your children until you get things straightened out. And at that point, there was a chance I could have lost them. And again, the threats, the basically innuendos that you're going to pay for this. My abuser was mentally abusive. Mm -hmm. 
many threats that he was going to end my life, many threats that my life will never be anything. Mm -hmm. And after 14 years of marriage, even 10 years, eight years of marriage, you start to believe everything your abuser says about you. Mm -hmm. And that put a lot of fear in me. Mm -hmm. He was very, very intimidating. Mm -hmm. In my mind, I thought he had a lot of connections to where he could make all this come true. And that's the last time I had gone back. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth time was I finally was able to get away. And that was with the PFA order. Mm -hmm. And just finally being strong enough to not believe the lies anymore. So did the abuse restart immediately each time you went back? Or did it was there a honeymoon period of not getting abused? It was a honeymoon period of very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just enough to make me believe that it's going to be much better this time. Mm. Okay. And just as quick as I started to believe that, I was being fooled. Mm. And the and the behavior, the behavior is always going to be there. Okay. You were fooled. You were lied to. You were threatened. Thank you. Nancy, what are some of the things that made it hard for you to leave? And I think the hardest thing was that I believed he loved me. Mm-hmm. that I made an excuse to, or maybe it was a denial, to think that him hitting me and hearing him say he was sorry over and over again, that he truly loved me. Or maybe was it love that he never, he always provided for my daughter and I. So I, it took me many years, and I can say in my 40s, I, I realized that that wasn't love. Mm-hmm. When you abuse someone physically, mentally, just every, verbally, that is not love. And I was able to experience love by another man later in my life that made me realize that. When Barb talked about an escape plan, I never had an escape plan because where was I to go? All I knew is that I needed to have shelter for myself and my daughter. I need to have food on. The, I need to have food on the table. I need to have a place for us to live, and that was a comfort for us. And I know that many victims, you know, they face that financially, like they don't leave because they have that level of comfort. Um, it's hard to break away from that. It's not easy. I never left. I never left. But my abuser left. My ex-husband, I can remember many times that, that he would tell me, I don't love you. I'm going to do whatever I want. And he would leave for a couple months and come back. But I never left because I believed and I hoped that when he came back that he would be a different person. But all he was doing is experience, you know, what I call the life de loca. Everything. You have everything. You have a wife at home, raising your daughter. Whenever you came home, you had food on the table. You had a nice meal, someone to you know clean your clothes, someone to take care of the yard, your house, and everything. Why would you give that up? So I, I never left for any reason because I believed that he would have changed each time or every day in my life that he would come home a different person from work or would see something beautiful about our relationship. Um, and that's very sad to me that it's really sad. But then over the years, I thought to myself, I can't think like an abuser. I can only think 
as a victim and mm-hmm. what was happening to me and my daughter. Did you try to change them yourself? Absolutely not. I was young when I got married. I was 18. And it was so overwhelming for me when I got married because I ran away, as I mentioned, and got married to him. Um, to him. And it was so new because I moved to a city I was never part of, and there are lots of people and lots of things going on and rules from him and everyone else. And no, not at all. That's kind of sad, though. I don't know. I don't think it's very effective. But let me ask Barb, your thoughts. Did you ever try to change your husband? From the moment I met him. Okay. Because my feeling was that I felt that he needed someone to care about him because he seemed like he was just kind of miserable and I'm thinking because he didn't have somebody and I was 30 so 31 so what did I know I fooled myself into thinking that I could change Mm -hmm. someone like him Mm -hmm. and it it doesn't happen they don't change Mm -hmm. they don't change for you they don't change for themselves their mindset is what is the best for them Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, Ellen, I also want to mention is that I was a strong believer that whatever the change would take place would start with me. It had to start with me first. Mm-hmm. I couldn't expect my abuser to change because he learned that behavior. And I also learned that about his family. And Mar- I know that Barbin mentioned that, that that's what he witnessed. That's what he experienced in his, the relationship between his mother and father. So I knew then when I recognized that, that this change was not going to take place. But I always knew that I don't change people. I change myself. I've empowered myself to know that I needed to take that step to get out of the relationship as I grew older Mm -hmm. and kept experiencing this. But I wasn't even thinking about changing him because I knew I'm not responsible for him. I couldn't change his mindset. That's what he learned. Parents, is your teen struggling to cope with their thoughts, feelings, and actions? Introducing Randy's Teen Group, a safe haven for support and healing. Join us virtually every Thursday from 4 to 5.30 p.m. starting September 14th. The best part? It's absolutely free. Reach out to Randy's House of Angels at 717-503-4498 to enroll your teen today. Let's nurture their well-being together. So uh, you've implied that that there was abuse in his household growing up, and he continued that cycle. It was very interesting. I had to live beside his parents at one point. That was one of the requirements when we moved back to Pennsylvania, that there was a, a house right beside his parents that each of the boys lived in. He had three brothers, and so it was our turn. But at this, I know it sounds crazy, but at the same time, right beside us, his mother and father, and, you know, it was so convenient. And then I kept learning things. I I learned a lot about his mother that I never physically saw before. I saw how she treated her father that was in a basement in the same house and how he was treated. And then things started coming out about about abuse in the house from my ex-husband. He finally admitted it that he was so angry at his father 
this is so bizarre. He was angry at his father because his father abused his mother when he was growing up. Then his mother started abusing her husband, his father. So it changed. The roles changed. And I said, this is unbelievable. This is why I've been experiencing this all these years because of the learned behavior from his mother and father, the roles that they played in the abuse. Yes. And just a quick uh, future mention, in Episode 7, we're going to talk about people who go from being victims to abusers, and that's a wonderful, wonderful topic. Barb, did you try to change your abuser? Did, you, did he have a history of abuse in his family? His abuse was not physical, although he's tried to, as in refraining, restraining you from being someplace going someplace or saying something. His abuse was mental, and I believe it came from his mother's side because his mother's father was, they all had the same type of personality. Mm. So changing them wasn't, as I found out later on down the road, that you, you don't change them. But one thing did happen that I noticed that I was becoming him to in order to deal with his personality, I had to become that personality as well. That was not even a changing point for me until after I got away from it. I realized that I was becoming him in a sense of the way he talked to people, the way he interacted with people. I I was becoming that personality. That's the only way I knew how to deal with him. Right. And you'd said before you're losing your identity and I want to definitely hear more of that. And some of your identity is moving towards his to deal with him. So tell me about losing your identity. You forget who you are. You start believing everything that they have told you that you're nothing. You don't know how to do anything. You can't cook well. You don't even clean the house well. You don't even take care of the kids. You're you're awful mother. You don't take care of your kids very well at all. You don't do this. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. You don't go to all their games. Your work, you're going to work and then still go. You can't go to the games. What's wrong with you? Don't even speak to me at the games when you do get there from your work. What kind of person are you to do this to your kids? You're not, you're not doing anything with them. Granted, he never did unless he went to a football game or a baseball game or softball or whatever it was, soccer whatever he was pushing the kids to do. Why aren't you doing those kinds of things? Mm. Why don't you take them? Uh, There's been a time where my youngest daughter was left behind because he was going to a football game. She was four. Wow. She walked down the street to a, a family member's house. He left her behind. So there's a lot of directing of his anger. Somewhere along the line, his anger developed um, as I found out later on in the years that he actually tried to hurt his younger brother and he fed him bleach. Okay. So the anger started, I believe, with him. But yes, it, you do change. You do change to right. a degree, whether you want to or not. Unfortunately, not, not everybody, but I found myself, I was changing me. Right. I, I didn't know what I liked anymore. Right. I didn't know who I liked. I didn't know who, what kind of conversations to have. And even to this day, which I have a very loving, supportive husband, I still find myself waiting for those questions to be asked, like even going to a grocery store, putting some things in the cart. I'm waiting to be told, do you need that? What do you need that for? And what did you hear from people 
who other people, perhaps coworkers or people at the soccer field or or acquaintances or your family, perhaps that might have been contrary to what he was putting you down about. They didn't know to the extent of what he was doing to me mm-hmm. mentally. Okay. They didn't know, and I know I've said this before, but it was like, oh, that's just how he is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just that's just how he is. He, that's how his that's just his personality. Okay, uh, which unfortunately allowed his behavior. Okay, that, that's how he is. That's just what he does. You know, he doesn't like that kind of stuff. So a lot of people protected him because of his personality, although he was he had unacceptable behavior, mm-hmm. not just personality differences. They still protected him. They still protected him. They still watched the behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, we had animals, and he was abusive to the animals. And that was in the public. If people would see that, and they just thought, well, how mean. He's just mean for doing that. But that never stopped that never stopped. Maybe we just watched it happen. Wow. So people didn't speak up, which is another form of protecting. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Nancy, did you lose your identity, at least in some ways? Of course. I didn't even know who I was. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I was young. I was naive. And I believed everything my ex-husband said to me. I believed him. People asked me, was he a good provider? Yeah, he was a good provider. But you could have all the materialistic things in the world, and you still don't have that, what they call love. Love is so important. Love is just more than words. Love is is showing that compassion for one another. Love is not hitting the person across the face or kicking them when they're six months pregnant and almost losing your child. Love is about just empowering you to be you. And I would say that, you know, if you get to know me, um, I grew from someone that I didn't even like. I didn't even know who I was. Now I'm completely different. I'm, I'm like I blossomed because I allowed myself to understand what I didn't want to be. So he empowered me to say, I don't want to be like him. I don't want to be dishonest. I don't want to live in secrecy. I want to be who I am to offer something more to my daughter. Now I look back and people say to me, really, were you really like that? Yeah, I was. It was very difficult for me to go to the grocery store like Bob. It was difficult for me when I moved in my first apartment to pick out the color of curtains. It was difficult for me to understand what to wear because I was only allowed to wear jeans and and a flannel shirt because that's what he wore every day. And that was because he didn't want people looking, guys looking at me. You know, it was all, there was always a mission to that. But I am now a person that I love. And so, like I said, the most darkest times in my life, not only with the death of my daughter, but when I was married and I was trying to find a way to leave him or just pray to God that he would stop his abuse, was really difficult for me. And then once I moved away from that, I began to find myself and I began to love myself. And now today, I'm very proud that I, of who I am. And yes, did I go back to college? Did I get my master's? Did I, I've started a nonprofit, but it's not about that. It's about what I give of myself. So taking part of this podcast and sharing my experience with others has so much meaning. Wow. 
What a heartfelt response. Thank you. And Barb, tell us about finding your identity, developing from being pushed down and, and emotionally beaten towards success in your life. And it doesn't mean physical, you know, financial success, but what you believe is successful. Perhaps, you know, you have some more self-esteem, et cetera. You mentioned you're married and implied that it was good. Yes. Um, I think once I was finally able to escape, when I found what I found with his affair, I knew that in my mind I needed to see that. I needed that proof and know in my heart that, okay, this is what it is. Now is your opportunity to act on it. He did move out of the residence and... With that, he moved out, but he still had keys to get in. So when I was at work, he'd go through all my belongings and then question me. Why do you have this? Whose is this? What do you have this for? Go through all my stuff. And then I would go home during my lunch because I worked about five miles from the, from the uh, home. Go home, take my dogs out. He'd be waiting at the end of the street and watch me. But I knew... When he finally, when I finally got my own place, the burden that was lifted off of me, knowing that I don't have to put up with this anymore. During the transition from him moving out and me moving out, was I would get phone calls of everything that he was going to do to me, what he I was going to come home to. He, it was, it was all the time. Even that's with the PFA. When I moved out. And was able to do, like Nancy said, I was able to, I wasn't able to make the decisions at first on what to do with my home. But as time went on more and more, I was, it was a little bit easier. And I still second guess, even today, I still second guess, was that a good place to put that picture? Or was that the right color? How about the flooring? Because I do a lot of construction. How about that flooring? Was the flooring okay? Do you think that, in my mind, it's, I'm always questioning myself. I didn't necessarily find my identity two years later, but I remember I had written something to that effect that don't ever lose your identity. It takes a long time to get it back or to find it again. Mm -hmm. But with a supportive husband that I have now, he, without his help, I think my healing would have taken much, much longer. Now, I mean, I still had some residuals as I question myself a lot. Should I have done this? Should I have done this better? Or should I, am I good enough? The biggest, I think the biggest threat I was to myself living in that environment was that I wanted to be taken. I wanted to, I wanted the pain to go away. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be alive and keep dealing with this. Mm -hmm. And then when I finally got out again, I was able to move on and I still feared that he was going to be stalking me, mm -hmm. showing up be in my garage. I've always checked my garage when I got home just to make sure he didn't get in the house somewhere. I go through the house to make sure he wasn't in there, mm -hmm. even though there's a possible way he can get in. But I still felt like he was still lurking and mm -hmm. waiting for me to be home by myself and then come after me. Right. So you felt threatened even though he was not there mm -hmm. because you had been threatened so much. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, if you would like any sense of how it affected your children? Absolutely. Um, that is the reason why I started Randy's House of Angels, because I knew 
deep in my heart after my daughter Randy was murdered, I had to do some soul searching. I had to understand why domestic violence, and I understood it was not until my late 30s that I was able even to say I was a victim of domestic violence because that, the, that was what society was talking about, domestic violence. So I had to come to terms with reality for myself. But then I looked at Randy. I looked at my daughter when she was in a home where there was domestic violence. And I realized that she always protected her father, that she witnessed domestic violence. She was in the high chair when he, you know, her father would throw the food across the room. Or she would be in her room where he thought he was closing her away and putting her away from the abuse when he was slapping me and I was crying. and Or she saw my bruises. So... You know, children play such a big role in our society in general, but more so when there's a home where there's domestic violence. And that's the reason why I started Randy's House of Angels, to help children that are victims of and exposed to domestic violence. And I think that we talked about our abusers coming from homes where there's domestic violence, and that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. Children perpetuate the behavior that they learn. Absolutely. you'd like to add? Um, they do see, whether you think they see it or not, they see what mm -hmm. goes on in the home. Mm -hmm. It may not be talked about, but they, they're watching. Mm -hmm. And even with mental abuse, domestic violence isn't always physical. And I think that's a huge misconception for most people is that it's not just physical. Mm -hmm. It is very much mental as much. Right. Uh, a mental abuser will go that route, I think, because they don't want people to see what they've done. Or yeah. they, they, like, unfortunately with Nancy, she was forced to, to hide what her abuser was doing to her. Mm -hmm. And the mental abuse is, is, just as, is just as bad because you do find yourself hiding. You're hiding not necessarily the scars on the outside, but you're hiding your scars on the inside. Right. And I think that is just, that's a tough road. It is a that's very a tough, tough road. road. Speaking of a tough road, it's, domestic violence is all about power and control, and, and that's unacceptable to have power and control. It needs to be a mutual relationship. Are there any comments that you'd like to share with our audience? The audience may be people who ha have been or are being victims of domestic violence, possibly abusers, possibly children, possible people possibly people just interested in this topic. So any comments that you'd like to make? Always know that there is a way out and that they are strong enough to do it. They can escape with help of supportive people in their lives. If they don't have just knowing, knowing that they have, they are strong enough to get through this. They are not what their abuser says that say they are. They are, they will get out of this there is hope, and I know a lot of people, it's just, they feel like there's no, there's no road out, but there is hope. They are worth it, and that's the biggest thing. They are worth, they are worth more than what their abuser says. Mm. Say they are. Yep. And I would say that please prepare a safety plan. Yes. Get help from others. There are a lot of resources in your community. There's individuals like myself that are advocates in your, you know, that work in communities across the state of Pennsylvania, of course. But just get help and know that you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone, and you're worth it. And just one more thing. I've heard that sometimes people who are victims of domestic violence get judged for 
being victims or for not leaving. Any thoughts, last thoughts? Until you walk in my shoes, you will never know. I don't want a person to be a victim. I don't want a person to be a survivor of the death of their child. I just want an individual to know that there are others out there that truly you can find a loving relationship and just beware of the signs of an unhealthy relationship. Excellent. And some of our prior podcasts have talked about uh, signs of an unhealthy relationship. Barb, any other comments? Uh, like Nancy said, there is, there is resources out there. There is hope out there. And no abuser deserves the recognition for being a good guy or just being, hey, that's how they are. That's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the, the abuser doesn't realize what the victim carries with the rest of their lives. Yes. And, and there is, like they say, there is hope out there. There, There is hope. There's resources. There's just a matter of making up your mind and saying, okay, enough's enough. Enough's enough. There are hope. There are resources. Barb and Nancy, thank you so much for thank your you. time. You're welcome. Welcome. Randy's House of Angels is sponsoring a series of podcasts that will serve as a resource to anyone impacted by domestic violence, including parents, guardians, caseworkers, health providers, advocates, teachers, trauma specialists, clinicians, and more, to provide an overview of domestic violence and how to handle situations where domestic violence is present. This is a series of 10 podcasts that will include an overview in healthy relationships, the different types of abuse, supporting someone who is engaged in an unhealthy relationship, and criminal justice resources available to victims. It will also include testimony and stories from courageous survivors who are victims of domestic violence. The podcast will be released starting in October of 2023 and run through February of 2024. If you miss a podcast, it will be made available on demand on Randy's House of Angels website at randyshouseofangels.org. After you've listened to our podcast, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback is crucial for the future of our podcast programs. There is a survey available on our website at randyshouseofangels.org. You can also reference the resources that support the podcast on the website, again, at randyshouseofangels.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.